Good morning. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving uh, with your family and friends. Um, for those of you who I have not met yet, my name is Ryan, and I serve as college and online pastor here at Northway. And I am so glad and, and excited to be able to share with you what, what God has laid on my heart uh, this morning. So earlier this week on Wednesday, I was talking to my buddy Micah, and he was driving on his way to see his mom in Tennessee. And so before he left, it, he knew it would be about a four-hour drive, and he got out his GPS, and he wanted to make sure he knew the direction he was going. He had a general idea, but he wanted to make sure. So he types in the city that his mom lives in. And so he types it in. It says about four hours, and so he starts going, and he starts driving. And after a while of driving, he realizes that he, he's getting close, but he's looking around, and he's like, this does not look familiar to me. He said, the... The, the surroundings did not match where I know my mom lives. It, it was a little bit more rural than, than where she lived. And so I started questioning maybe the GPS, since I just put in a, a city, has taken me in a different way, and it, it's taken me in a direction that I haven't seen this side of town. And so to be sure, he gets it, his GPS back out, and he puts in his brother's high school to, uh, to get a more exact location. So he puts in his brother's high school, hits go, and it says he's two hours and 45 minutes away from his destination. And he had a sinking moment where he realized, I am not supposed to be here. This is not the destination where I was supposed to be. What he found out later was, because we convinced him that there's not two cities with the same name in Tennessee. And so what we found out is when he typed in the city name, he accidentally clicked on a street that has the same name as the city. And quickly, a four-hour drive and journey turned into a seven-hour drive and journey. So here's why I tell you this. Many of us have been there before where we thought our lives were supposed to look a certain way, we thought we were supposed to be in a certain situation in life or we weren't supposed to be in a certain situation, and then we look up at our reality and where we are in our life circumstances, and we have this sinking feeling of, I'm not supposed to be here. This was not how it was intended to turn out for me. It, it, it was supposed to be different for me. In fact, I had a conversation with several of my college students, and one of them made the observation that, that most of the people on her campus have a similar story of, I was supposed to go to a different school, I was supposed to go to a different place, but then X, Y, and Z happened, and now I'm here. This was not my first option. This is not where I'm supposed to be. I'm supposed to be somewhere else. And my guess is that many of you have had similar circumstances in life. Maybe it's with your career. And ever since you were little, you had a dream and an idea of what you were gonna do with your life. And then down the road, you get in that career and you look up around you and you have the sinking reality of, this isn't right. I'm not supposed to be here. Or maybe right before you get into that career, there's some sort of barrier, some sort of test that you can't break through to actually get in. You're like, this has been the plan from the beginning. I'm not supposed to be here. I'm supposed to be there. Or maybe in your career, you get into it and, and you're waiting for a certain promotion to get to where you're supposed to be. But time after time, again, you continue to be passed over that promotion. And you're like, I'm not supposed to be here. I'm supposed to be there. 
Maybe it's with a relationship. And maybe your whole life you've had this timeline in your mind of how things were supposed to work out. I'm going to get married at this age. I'm going to have kids at this age. And then year after year passes by and you're still single and there's no prospects on the horizon. And you're sitting here thinking, this is not where I'm supposed to be. I'm supposed to be somewhere else. Or maybe in your marriage, you're supposed to hit that timeline of I'm supposed to have kids at this certain point. And you're trying, and it's not working out, and you're saying, I'm not supposed to be here. This is not what my life is supposed to look like. Or maybe in your marriage, there's been some tension, and and in all reality, you've looked up after months or years down the road, and your marriage is hanging on by a thread, and you say, I'm not supposed to be here. This is not what it's supposed to be like. Or maybe you've experienced some sort of loss. You've lost a loved one. And you look at your life and say, this was never supposed to happen. This was not the plan. I wasn't supposed to lose them. I'm not supposed to be here. Or maybe it's some sort of diagnosis in your own life or a life of a loved one. And and you're thinking, I'm young, I'm healthy. This isn't supposed to be the case. I'm not supposed to be here. This was not the plan. And maybe your, your whole not supposed to be here moment is because of your own choices and your own decisions. And maybe for you, you have been abusing alcohol or drugs. Or maybe for you, you've been unfaithful in a relationship. Or you, you find yourself being harsh with your wife, with your kids, with your coworkers. You find yourself angry and anxious. And you take a step back and look at your life and you say, this is not how it's supposed to be. I'm not supposed to be here. Have you felt that way before? Do you feel that way now? My guess is many of you do. Many of you have had that exact thought of I'm not supposed to be here. This is not supposed to be my life's circumstances. But many of you, you might not have exactly said those words or thought that exact thought. But if you were honest with yourself, you would realize that you do feel that way. Your thoughts, your words, your actions show that you do indeed feel like you're not supposed to be where you are. You find yourself constantly thinking about where you're supposed to be, the life that you're supposed to have, the job, the relationship, the social status that you're supposed to be in. You find yourself looking at other people who are in those situations and you get filled with envy and jealousy, wanting to be where they are. You find yourself constantly talking about the place that you're supposed to be and downplaying and bashing the place where you are now. And you find yourself in an unhealthy way striving for where you're supposed to be at the expense of people, relationships, time, and resources. And so in reality, you do feel that you're not supposed to be here. This is not how it's supposed to turn out for you. And I got to tell you, we're all susceptible to falling into this way of thought, into this mentality, and it's a dangerous mentality. It's a dangerous mentality because what it does is it removes us from the now. It removes us from the here, from the now, from the moment. You miss what God has right in front of you. You miss opportunities that God has placed in your life because you're constantly thinking of where you're supposed to be and you fall into the old adage of wishing your whole life away. And so this morning, that's what I want to talk about is this idea of of here. 
of, of feeling not supposed to be here. And, and to, to address this, I want us to walk through Scripture. Now, we're not going to pick one particular passage and read it. Instead, I'm going to give an overview of several different points throughout the biblical story, several different moments that we would probably say they weren't supposed to happen that way. They're not supposed to be here situations. And we're going to look through these stories, and then I'm going to tie them all together for us, and then give us two practical points at the end to take home. So you can uh, follow along with me as we go through the, the story. And it begins in the beginning, in Genesis, it, when God created everything. He created the heavens and the earth. He created mankind and had a special relationship with mankind. He created man in his own image. And man walked with God in perfect relationship. But man rebelled against God and rejected God. And with that rebellion and with that rejection came separation from God, a broken and fractured relationship. The relationship that was supposed to be was now broken. And then man is cast out of paradise, out of the garden. And so there, from the very beginning in the book of Genesis, you see mankind is not where we are supposed to be. We are cast out of our relationship with the Lord, cast out of the garden, out of paradise. And every human being following would be born in the state of sin, in the sinful nature. You can go to, uh, fast forward to a man named Joseph. Joseph, as a young man, he was a young man with great aspirations. He had great dreams, literal dreams, that he would be in a place of power, in a place of authority, even over his family. He had a bright future, but his brothers got jealous, and they sold him into slavery. And then in slavery, in a distant land of Egypt, he's in a man named Potiphar's house, but he finds favor in the eyes of Potiphar, and he works his way up. But then, due to a false accusation of Potiphar's wife, he finds himself in prison. But then there in prison, he, he finds favor in the eyes there, and he works his way up. He ends up interpreting dreams to some of Pharaoh's people who had been thrown in prison. But he says, hey, I'll do this, but please remember me when you're restored back into a good relationship with Pharaoh. So he interprets the dreams. The, the man goes back to Pharaoh, and then it says that he forgot um, that Joseph, he did not remember him, but he forgot him. And so Joseph there, this young man with such a bright future, is where he's not supposed to be. He's not supposed to be there. Then you fast forward a few hundred years to a man named Moses. See, the people of Israel were enslaved in Egypt, and Pharaoh issued a decree to kill all the baby boys, but, but uh, Moses' parents, his mother, saved him, put him in the Nile in a basket, and then Pharaoh's daughter draws him up out of the water. Moses is raised in the, the, uh, the royalty of, of Egypt, and he grows up to be a young man. But then as he's a young man, he looks and he sees the injustice happening to his people. He sees an Egyptian uh, abusing some of his Israelites' brothers. And in anger, he goes and he murders the, the Egyptian. And the next day, he finds some of his uh, fellow Israelites, and they're fighting against each other. He says, hey, stop fighting. And they looked at him and said, who made you judge and ruler over us? Are you going to kill us too? And so Moses has this reality that what he had done had gotten out and people knew. And in fact, it had gotten to Pharaoh and Pharaoh wanted to kill him. So Moses then has to leave his home and flee to a distant land of Midian. 
And in Midian, he finds a man named Jethro, begins to work for him, marries his daughter, begins, he's a shepherd, and they have a son named Gershom. And so here you find Moses in a distant land, far from his home. He was raised as royalty, but now he's a shepherd. And his son's name literally means, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. Translation, I'm not supposed to be here. God eventually does come to Moses and call him and says, hey, I've heard the cries of my people. I want you to go back to Egypt, and and I'm going to work a great salvation through you. But Moses says, who am I to go? What will I say? I don't even speak well. And, And what that translates to is, I don't belong there. I'm not supposed to be there. Fast forward to to David. David, as a young boy, was anointed to be king over all of Israel. But David's path doesn't land to the throne immediately. David goes into the service of the current king Saul where he plays harp for him. But then Saul has these fits of rage and he throws spears at David trying to pin him to the wall. And it gets so bad, Saul's jealousy grows so much that David has to flee and run from Saul for years and years and years. And there are points where David literally finds himself in caves hiding from Saul. He was anointed to be the king of Israel, but now he is hiding from the current king. And it's years and years after his anointing. He wasn't supposed to be there. You think of the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah finds himself in the throne room of God in the midst of his glory. And when faced with the glory of God, he says, Woe is me, for I am lost. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. What he's translation there is, I don't belong in your presence, Lord. I'm not supposed to be here. I am unworthy. Fast forward to, to Esther. The people of Israel had been taken into exile at this point. They had been taken into captivity. They were taken from their homeland to a distant land where they weren't supposed to be. And the people of Israel were much like Esther, where Esther had fully assimilated into Persian culture. She had lost her Jewish identity. And she was not where she was supposed to be. She wasn't supposed to be here. That is not what her life was supposed to look like. Story after story after story throughout the narrative of Scripture is full of the not supposed to be here's, not supposed to look like this. But here's what's so incredible is all of these stories of not supposed to be here's led and pointed to the ultimate story of not supposed to be here. They led to Jesus. Jesus, God the Son, in his heavenly home, in the glory of heaven, stepped down from his throne room into his broken creation, taking on flesh. He wasn't supposed to be here. Jesus lived a perfect life, keeping all the commands of the Lord. But then at the end of his life, he who knew no sin became sin and found himself sentenced to die on a criminal's cross. He wasn't supposed to be there. He went from having perfect communion with his heavenly father to crying out on that cross, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? He wasn't supposed to be there. And then there the author of life itself laid lifeless on that cross and his lifeless body was taken and placed in a tomb 
But praise the Lord, he was not supposed to be there. And on the third day, he burst forth with life. Forth with life, He arose from the grave, conquering sin and death itself with a promise that those who confess Jesus as Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead have salvation. Their sins are forgiven. They enter into this new life. And what's so incredible is all of these situations that we mentioned earlier directly led to and pointed to this moment. In fact, all of Scripture points to Jesus. It points to what he did on the cross. Even back from the beginning in Genesis, when when God is talking to the serpent and to Adam and to Eve after the, the fall, he tells the serpent that the seed of the woman, that her descendant, would crush the head of the serpent. And then when they leave, He takes an animal skin and clothes them and covers them. And what you see there from the very beginning is that the death of an innocent life covered the shame of mankind. Do you see what it's pointing to here? You can see it in Joseph, in in the story of Joseph. Joseph, while he's in prison, Pharaoh has this dream that no one can interpret. Then the cupbearer suddenly remembers, oh yeah, there's this guy in prison who can interpret dreams. And so they call Joseph. Joseph interprets the dream. And because of his, his uh, faithfulness to the Lord, they are able to survive a famine. He knows a famine's coming. Through God's provision, they store up all this food so that they can survive through this time. And what happens is Joseph's family, Joseph's brother and father, they all come to Egypt because Egypt has food. And through that provision, they are able to survive. So because Joseph was in Egypt, the people of Israel are able to to survive. See, Joseph, there's this beautiful moment at the end of the story uh, in Genesis chapter 50 where his brothers are a little nervous because their father just died. And they're like, oh, Joseph's going to get revenge on us. And they get scared and they go to him. But Joseph says, this is, as for you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. He says, what you intended for evil, God took and used for good. And he preserved and brought life from it. And from the people of Israel would come Jesus. To Moses, Moses eventually would trust in the Lord and obey his command to go back to Egypt. And God would work miracles through Moses and set free the people of God and bring salvation to them once again. And so he goes from being this impulsive young man to a great leader. He went from shepherding sheep to shepherding a nation. And once again, God preserved the people of Israel because through the people of Israel, he would bless the entire world through Jesus. David, David, while on the run, he became a great leader. He, he had a bunch of mighty men around him. He learned war tactics. He continued to gain favor with the people. And then at the right time, God placed him on the throne. He placed him on the throne, and because David was a man after his own heart, he promised him that he would always have someone on the throne, that in his lineage, that the Christ, the Messiah, would come. You see this in in 2 Samuel 7, uh, 12 through 13, where he says, He will establish his kingdom, and he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish his throne of his kingdom forever. And what you find is that Jesus was born in the lineage of David. It was pointing to him. Isaiah, the man of unclean lips, 
he, uh, there was a point where, where a seraphim, this angelic being, takes this burning coal and brings it down and touches his lips, and it signified the righteousness of God being placed on him, and, and his unrighteousness was covered by the righteousness of God. And, and then from there, God says, who will go for me? And this once unqualified and unrighteous man says, here I am, Lord, send me. Send me. And from there, Isaiah goes and proclaims judgment and God's wrath to the people of Israel, but he also proclaims rescue and redemption. He proclaims that, that there will be a remnant that will be preserved. There will be a, a fourth, a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David. And so what he's pointing to is Jesus. He says, there will be, I'm sending a savior to the people. Esther, Esther eventually finds herself in a place of, of uh, as she's the queen. And, and there's this plot that's set out to destroy the Jewish people. And her uncle Mordecai, who was like her, who was fully assimilated into Persian culture, who was, had forgotten his identity, had an awakening in his heart. And he asked her to use her place of power to bring rescue and salvation to the Jewish people. And he says in Esther 4.14, And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Maybe you are here for a reason to bring salvation to your people. And Esther will use her influence with the king and will bring salvation to the people of Israel. Once again, they are preserved. Every single story, it all points to Jesus. It was all leading up to Jesus. All these not supposed to be here situations were taken and used and and ultimately led to Jesus on that cross, winning the salvation for each and every one of us who put our faith and trust in him. So here's what this means. This means that there's absolutely nothing that can derail the sovereignty of our God. Not Joseph's jealous brothers, not Moses' impulsive murder, not David's delayed throne, not Isaiah's unrighteous heart, nor Esther's misplaced identity. Every single moment is taken and worked for God's glory. And what that means is that for those of us who have put our faith and trust in Christ, he is working for our good. Every single moment is working for his glory and our good for those of us who are in Christ. God's sovereignty has ordained us and ordained you to be right where you are. You are there for a reason, and he wants to use you right where you are. Even you're not, if you're not supposed to be here was because of your own moral failure, your own mistake, your own sin, he still wants to use you. Do you really think that your sins are more powerful than the authority of the cross? God's grace is sufficient to cover your sins. God's love is sufficient to cover your sins, and he wants to use you no matter what you've done or where you've been. If you will turn to him, repent of your sin, he will still use you in mighty ways. Our God has the tendency to take the not supposed to be here's and use them to bring glory to himself. Moses wasn't supposed to lead a nation because he had blown his chance and he wasn't even confident in his own ability to speak. The disciples weren't supposed to be influential people because they were just your run-of-the-mill fishermen. Saul wasn't supposed to be a missionary because he was one of the biggest activists against the Christian movement. 
but God has the tendency to, to take people and use them for his glory. God takes impulsive and insecure Moses and turns him to a wise leader of a nation. He takes uneducated fishermen and turns them to disciples who pre- preach eloquently his word to the masses. He takes passionate Saul that persecuted his church to, and turns him to passionate Paul that spread the gospel to the nations. That is the nature of our God. And so, so just practically speaking, I want to give us two things, just two things as we close. What do you do when you have this not supposed to be here mentality? What do you do when you feel like you're supposed to be somewhere else? First and foremost, we must submit to the Lord. We must submit to the Lord. We must trust him. It starts with complete and total submission. Trust him with your life and trust him with the moment. If you are are in here and you're not a follower of Christ, you're someone who hasn't put your faith and trust in him, know what's been done for you. Know God's great love that was demonstrated on the cross on your behalf. Know that he bled for you, that he died for you, but that he rose from the grave with a promise that if you will put your faith and your trust in him, that you will have life and you will have life everlasting. Your life will have a purpose and a reason behind it. Trust him with that. But even as believers, it's easy to fall into this mentality of I'm supposed to be somewhere else. I'm supposed to do something else. My life is not supposed to look like this. And so for us, we have to remind ourselves that God is sovereign over everything. He's in control over everything. He, he has us here for a reason. We must trust him with that. If it's sin that has got us in this season, we need to repent of that sin. Know that in Christ, we have the freedom to turn away from our sins. Trust God with our lives. Submit to him. And after you submit to the Lord, look for opportunities. Look for opportunities. Look for opportunities to grow in your relationship with the Lord. Maybe this particular season that you're in, that you you feel like you're not supposed to be in, maybe it gives you a little bit more time than you normally would have. And, and use that time, that opportunity to, to really dig into your faith, dig into your relationship with the Lord, to secure your devotion to him. Maybe the question you need to ask is, what ways are God, is God refining me? What ways is God stripping away the impurities in my life, making me look more like him? Maybe if you, your desire is to be in some leadership position, maybe you're not there just yet because God wants to use this time, this season, and this context to strip away the pride that's in your heart before he puts you over people. Maybe God, before God wants to bless you in the way he wants to bless you, he wants to make sure that you are content and satisfied in him. He wants to make sure your heart is grateful and generous, and then he will take you where he wants to take you. Look for ways to grow. Understand that God uses these moments to prepare you for the future. When David slayed Goliath, it was an incredible act of God, and God was definitely with him. But understand, that was not the first time he had used a sling. He was a shepherd boy for years and years before that, fighting off the animals that attacked his uh, his flock, and he killed the bear, and he killed the lion, and then he killed Goliath. God used that season to prepare him for the season that was to come. Maybe God's doing the same thing with you. Maybe all these administrative tasks that you don't want to do and you'd rather be doing something else, maybe they're preparing you for the tasks that are to come. 
Maybe the, the conflict and the stresses that you're dealing with now are strengthening you, preparing you for what is to come. Maybe God's using this moment and this season to prepare you for the future. So open your eyes to those opportunities to grow. And open your eyes to the opportunity for impact. We've been commanded by God when you're a Christian to share the gospel, to make disciples of all nations. That is our command. That is our our task. I think of Paul when Paul was in prison with Silas, and and there in that prison there was this earthquake, and the prison cells open, and the jailer knew that if, if these prisoners had escaped, that it would be his life, and so he was going to take his own life, and Paul cries out from the cell and says, whoa, 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 no, stop. We're still here. Don't do that. And then Paul shares the gospel with this man. And this man comes to know Christ and says his entire house was baptized. He and his entire house came to believe in Christ. Because Paul was not concerned of getting out and looking and going to the next thing and relieving himself from the situation. He was present in the moment and he was looking for ways to use this moment to impact those around him. And maybe that's why God has you in this season. Maybe you're in that job that you don't want to be in because there are coworkers there that need to hear of Christ. Maybe you're in, at the school that you don't want to be at because there are people there who need to hear Christ. Maybe you're having to go to the hospital on a regular basis for treatments for you or for someone you love, and there's a doctor or a nurse there that you have a specific relationship with because of it, and they need to hear this, the message of the gospel. They need to hear Christ. Maybe through tragedy, some distant family member has come home and they're back in your life and maybe they need to hear the story of Jesus. Maybe you're just in a long line at the grocery store and you're wanting to be somewhere else, but there's someone in your vicinity that does not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior and that is your opportunity for impact. Look for the opportunity to impact those around you. Trust God with that moment. Just closing up for us, We've got to go from saying, I'm not supposed to be here, to saying, I'm here. God has me here for a reason, for a purpose. He is sovereign over every moment, and he's got me here, and I want to trust him with this. I'm not saying we shouldn't prepare what's next for what's next and have goals and aspirations. That, that's good. It is good and healthy and wise to prepare for what is to come and to set your life up to get to where you feel like you're supposed to be. It's good for a high schooler to prepare for college. It's good for an engaged couple to prepare for marriage. But what I'm saying is that we should not let our what is to come take us from the now. Do not miss what God has for you now. There's a quote by a missionary named Elizabeth Elliot. Her and her husband were missionaries. Her husband was actually killed while ministering to an indigenous people. But she, she had this quote in one of her books about relationships, but I think it's pretty fitting for this whole mentality of not supposed to be here. She says, I remember what Jim wrote to me in one of his letters. Let not our longing slay the appetite of our living. And I think there's a lot of single women and men who are allowing their longing to slay the appetite of their living. They're not throwing their heart and soul into the will of God for today because they are simply dying inside for something that God has not given them. It's so easy for us at times to let our longing, our desire for where we want to go to slay our appetite for living, to to take us out of the moment. 
And she says, we should just throw our heart and soul into this moment. Trust God with today. We have to understand that there is absolutely nothing that can derail the sovereignty of God. Not your mistakes, nor any force of nature, nor any power of evil has the ability to strip the sovereign power of our God. He is always working things for his glory, and he is always working good for those that are in Christ. We must trust that. You might feel, though, that you're not supposed to be here, but you need to know that God has you right where you are for a purpose. Stop letting your longing slay your appetite for your living. Submit to the Lord. Look for opportunities to grow and to make an impact in the now. Throw your heart and your soul into the will of God for today. Thank you.